We need one another when we are in trouble and afraid. We need one another when we are in despair, in temptation, and need to be recalled to our best selves again. We need one another when we would accomplish some great purpose and cannot do it alone. We need one another in the hour of success when we look for someone to share our triumphs. We need one another in the hour of defeat when with encouragement we might endure and stand again. We need one another when we have come to die and would have gentle hands prepare us for the journey. All our lives we need, we are in need and we need one another and one another needs us. When I first learned that our religious education program included among its Unitarian Universalist heroes and heroines, Malvina Reynolds, who wrote the song Little Boxes that we heard earlier, I thought, well, of course Malvina Reynolds was a Unitarian Universalist. Of course the author of the satirical song Poking Fun at the Sameness that was spreading across the country the dangerous conformity of boxes of ticky-tacky that all look just the same, and the programs that taught people to think alike and want the same things. Of course, the person who wrote that song was a Unitarian Universalist, I thought. Because, you know, Unitarian Universalists have a sense of ourselves as a people who do a really good job at nonconformity. After all, one of the things that we covenant to affirm and promote together is the right of conscience. And it is that covenant, that principle, our fifth principle that I'm going to be reflecting on today, our covenant to affirm and promote the right of conscience. We often interpret that as meaning that we believe we we come together agreeing to disagree with one another. We come together to form communities in which conformity to one way of thinking is not only not, not the, the normal way of being, but it's actively discouraged. It is actively discouraged within our congregations to conform to one way of thinking. So, you know, we, we think pretty well of ourselves when it comes to nonconformity. But too often, the right of conscience is interpreted as meaning that not only can we believe anything we want, but collectively, as a congregation, as a movement, we cannot have a voice unless we are unanimous. Too often, affirming and promoting the right of conscience, that right that each of us has to listen to the voice within our head about what is right and what is wrong, too often, Affirming and promoting that right is interpreted as meaning that together we can't speak if someone disagrees with the majority. I'm not saying it's always interpreted that way, but too often it is. And neither of those interpretations that we can believe anything we want or that collectively we cannot have a voice unless we are unanimous, neither one of them is true. And both of those things, both of those false interpretations of the right of conscience are actually counterproductive to this quest for nonconformity and and why it's a good thing. Because I believe that not only are our beliefs 
developed in accountable relationship to one another, accountable relationship to our experiences, and accountable relationship to our history and traditions, but that our collective silence on important matters in the name of encouraging dissent and not wanting to silence it is dangerous to our society. The right of conscience asks each of us to make up our own minds about what we hear. It means that I can say things from this pulpit and you can disagree with me. And we can have a conversation about why you disagree with me. And that's a good thing. We encourage that sort of disagreement. It requires that when we are making decisions on any matter of import, that everyone's voices are heard. It requires us to engage in the practice of deep listening to one another. Because when someone has an opinion that's different from ours, we don't write them off. We engage in the practice of deep listening. We try our best to understand what is behind their opinion. That's the nature of compassionate community, that we are in relationship with one another, that's, that's founded on the ideals that we are willing to listen to one another. We are willing to challenge ourselves to listen to one another. But the right of conscience does not require either unanimity or consensus in order for us to act. Collective silence on important matters is dangerous, and it's counterproductive to this thing we call the right of conscience. Why is that? A long time ago, I had a friend who had a bumper sticker on the back of his car. And his bumper sticker read, silence equals complicity. Simple bumper sticker. And I loved pulling up behind his car every time um, I would park in front of his house and seeing that bumper sticker because it reminded me that the failure to speak about injustice means that we are complicit with that injustice. The failure to speak up about things that we know are wrong in society, whoever it is that's telling us that those things might be right, failure to speak to them means that we are perpetuating an unjust status quo. And the status quo is all about conformity. The status quo is all about little boxes on the hillside that are all made of ticky-tacky. The status quo is all about encouraging us to think alike so that those who have power and privilege in our society cannot have that power and privilege challenged by anyone who might think that they need to share it. I want to revisit that quote from Chauncey Depew, proud Peekskillian, who said, follow the path of the unsafe independent thinker Expose your ideas to the dangers of controversy. Speak your mind and fear less the label of crackpot than the stigma of conformity. And on issues that seem important to you, stand up and be counted at any cost. Unitarian Universalism has a spotty history on that, despite the fact that we like to be proud of the high points in our history. We are rightfully proud of the high points in our history when we have collectively stood on the side of love. And some of those points are not in the very distant past, but many of them, many of them are. 
standing up against slavery in the mid-19th century, standing up for women's suffrage in the late 19th and early 20th century, standing up when, when people were called to Selma, Alabama, and other places um, to, to stand on the side of civil rights for all people in the 50s and 60s, those proud moments of our history are fading with every passing day further and further into the past. And some of them, like standing up for the right of all people to be married, they're not so much in the distant past. In New York State, though, that's fading into the distant past with every passing day. And we're proud of those things. But Unitarian Universalists, often we don't look at the other side of our history. Many of you probably don't know that in the 50s and 60s and 70s, quite a large number of Unitarian Universalist congregations located in diverse socioeconomically challenged urban areas either shut their doors or abandoned their buildings and fled to the suburbs, the suburbs made of ticky-tacky, where things all looked the same. Congregations were, were abandoned one after another in, in urban centers, and congregations in the suburbs sprung up like wildfire all over the country. As Americans left the city, especially privileged upper-middle-class white Americans left city centers for those suburban areas. If you lived in Bedford in 1957, um, there were very few people in Bedford in 1957. Houses were pretty well spread apart. Well, in 1957, um, there were enough people in Bedford and Mount Kisco to form a Unitarian Universalist fellowship. And today, we are in a densely populated suburb. It wasn't so in 1957. And we have to understand that the suburbanization of America is something that Unitarian Universalists have been complicit with. And the conformity that comes with living in the suburbs and the pressure to conform when we live in a place like this and we love this place in which we live is strong. And we are complicit in that pressure when we are silent against the injustices that that pressure creates. If we are really to espouse the value of nonconformity, if we really are to covenant to affirm and promote a right of conscience, we cannot be afraid to take a stand, however controversial that stand might be. We cannot be afraid to take a stand within our community or outside of our community, out in the streets. Creating compassionate community requires having the courage to speak our collective truth, as non-unanimous as that collective truth might be, outside of our walls. It requires a dedication to, in the words of Doug Zielinski, shape our society in our vision of love. It requires recognizing when we have, without even thinking about it, retreated into our little boxes made of ticky-tacky, retreated into those places where we all think the same, where we all understand things the same way, even when those boxes where we all look just the same are ones that we have come to know and love, like this one. 
It requires summoning the courage to truly understand what nonconformity means in light of our affirmation of the right of conscience, because going against the status quo is difficult. It invites reactivity and pushback. So this morning, I invite you to think about what it would take for us to agree that we need to take Unitarian Universalism to the streets. How much would we have to agree on something in order for it to okay to be okay being nonconformists in a society with so much ticky-tacky in it. I have a vision for our faith movement as Unitarian Universalists, and that vision starts here in this very community. I envision a faith movement that is fearless in the face of pressures to conform, pressures to be complicit with a status quo that perpetuates injustice, Pressures to avoid controversy and conflict at any costs. Because avoiding controversy and conflict only leads to silence. It only leads to paralysis. And silence is complicity when it's in the face of injustice. I envision a robust Unitarian Universalist community whose walls are permeable, whose walls invite in the community and whose people go outside of them to take their faith to the streets. If we don't do that, if we don't take our Unitarian Universalist faith to the streets, we will find ourselves living in a society defined for us by other people who are all too willing to do that. And I ask you, what would that society look like? I venture a guess that such a society would be more unjust than the one we currently live in. A society even more filled with ticky-tacky boxes of nothingness. A society where power that is being abused and used unjustly is unchecked by people willing to assert a right of conscience, a right to stand up and be counted at any cost. So I invite you this morning to think about what it would be like to really be a nonconformist to really embrace that vision that we have for ourselves <coughs> of what, what we are like as a diverse community of people who think and act and love differently. I invite you this morning to consider what it would be like if we covenanted to take our faith, this compassionate community that we have created here, to the streets. Blessed be.